Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. Hello, Mike. Hey, Chet. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I guess. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling better today just because I had a nice weekend with Andrew Hawkins because he came out uh, for my Mysterian Kickstarter campaign reward. He came for the Land of Enchantment tour. So that was a lot of fun. It was just a you know quick in and out kind of deal. He got here and was here for 24 and left. But it was really rejuvenating going out, hiking the desert and taking him out and showing him the sights, telling him the history and getting yeah, there's, tuned in. There's, so. ar- there's already a hilarious photo of you. With your eyes yeah, I've closed. I've got a meme already. <laughs> I got a meme from it already. It's pretty good. It's like, you, you should have. Mike's Magnificent Moment by Lorna Mess. Yeah. <laughs> you should have. roasting me. I love being roasted. You should have known that was coming. When I saw it, the first good. thing I thought is, oh, there's going to there's gonna be many great memes coming from this image. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and hand it to Andrew for taking it, you know, mm-hmm. and then handing it off to me and me exposing myself publicly in such a vulnerable <laughs> way. <laughs> That's what we do. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm a little sad that Halloween's over, but it's like at least in California, it was super hot until Halloween. Then it cooled down and it kind of got to be like fall weather, which was nice. So now everything's cool and feeling. So now you're actually feeling Halloween, even yeah. though Halloween's over. I'm feeling <laughs> Halloween-y. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's talk about who, who is on our show today. Yes. That's the most important. Yes. Today we have a guest who is the man we go way back. We kind of started together. Really. I think we started showing around the same time. I think maybe he started a little before me, but um, I, <clears throat> I had first had seen his work in the spectrum books. I saw a picture of a, this demon guy chasing a pug. It's like super hilarious <laughs> and super realistic. Right. Uh, 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 painting. But um, that's what the, my my first exposure to uh, Travis and uh, uh, Travis Louie, who we haven't. Uh, that was the lamest intro I've ever done. I'm sorry, Travis. <laughs> this is Tra- okay. I'm gonna say uh, Travis Louie. Travis Louie, welcome to the show. How about that? Is that better? <laughs> sorry. So awesome. That was so chat. <laughs> Hi, Travis. <laughs> hey, fellas. Welcome to the show. They, they- uh, glad to be here. Yeah, thank thank you so much for doing it. We've had people asking about you, and um, uh, and just you're you know you're one of my uh, uh, best friends in the scene, and and the, Travis and I talk often on the phone and, and complain about things because we're like around the same age, and we've got a mortgage and we've got kids, and uh, so we you know we're in a really similar situation. So uh, yeah, so so we we've got a special bond in that way, and of course I love his artwork. As uh, everybody I love does. Artwork too, man. Oh, thank you. And it's okay. funny, you know, even though we are called the Dark Art Society podcast, we we had Gabe Leonard on last week, and he's not really a dark yeah. artist necessarily, but we don't, um, you know, we're not tied down to only what's considered dark art. But I still, you know, the funny thing about your work is I do consider you as part of the movement because you are painting monsters. You're a monster painter. Yeah. You know I, what I, I mean? Even though your your monsters are are on the whimsic whimsical end of the spectrum, it's they're still monsters. So I still consider you as a, a definitely a, a part of the movement. 
you know. I like I like to dip my foot in the uh, monster world. I mean, I grew up with that stuff, right? I mean, uh, right. we like a lot of the same movies too. Those old so bad they, horror movies. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, we both looked at Basil Gogos. Yeah. When we were kids, uh, we both uh, were aware of Forey Ackerman. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, both have, uh, you know, some some time. I mean, it's just even when you when you were working in the effects industry. Hmm. Knew a bunch of the guys for like no almost no reason. I don't know why I even know some of those guys. I don't right. I don't work in that industry, but it just uh I guess I just love it. Yeah. You know? love yeah. It. Absolutely. So um you know, Travis is at this point a, you know, a well established uh I don't want to say a well established commodity, but he is a well established fine artist in the whatever our the overall underground art scene, or I don't even know what it is, lowbrow, pop surrealism, whatever. But, uh, you know, Travis is one of the big names and, you know, what, what year did you start showing? Didn't we start showing kind of around the same time? Well, I mean, I mean, technically I had my first, uh, first show was in 1991. I think. No, you're like 10 years ahead of me then. No wonder your prices are higher than mine. (laughs) That was was in Manhattan and it it was terrible. I didn't sell anything. Oh, really? really Yeah, they they just uh, I, I blame it on 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 the uh, the times, you know. Uh, That's early. Ninety one is early. Yeah, well, well ninety one was like Satanic Panic era, and like you know all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the world. So the dark arts probably weren't as uh, highly looked upon, and it was probably looked more like whoa, that okay, that's definitely on the side of the coin. I'm not as interested in. But then again, you were in Manhattan, so I'd be curious to know. Well, I I think, and if you talk to Ron English, he'll 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 uh, he'll corroborate my story. Uh, we were we were just about in a recession. Uh, George Bush's father was the president at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, Desert Storm just happened. Oh yeah, that's, that's what was going on, and that was the climate, you know. And and he he didn't get reelected, you know, uh, because of the economy, basically. Right. It, the economy had taken a big shit, mm-hmm. and uh, there was no no way out of it. So that's why he lost, and right. that's that's. And we ended up, and so there was a there was like a fear, and and art sales were down all across the board, all over Manhattan. That's just the way it was. That's you interesting, know? yeah. Because I was totally, I hadn't even considered being an artist at that point. I didn't start until two thousand, so I was fully makeup effects guy. I never even considered it until like I think ninety eight was when I started thinking about even painting, even thinking about it. You know, so I'm not aware of that scene at that time at all. It was a fluke because I I uh, I was. I was an illustrator. That, that's what. Oh, hello. Going on. So okay. I, it was just by chance that gave me a show. I'm still here. Okay. Yeah, somebody gave broke, me a show. You broke um, up a second there. I, I'm still here. Is, okay. uh, is this right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good now. You're good now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, your your background is in illustration, right? That's right. Yeah, that's where I came from. Um, you know, it was it was a little rough. There, there wasn't a whole lot of work for me in the beginning. Uh, like anybody else that's getting started, you know. Most of us uh, just hang around long enough that we just get work. Right. Gonna- <laughs> when when did you, I, I want to hear you went to I know you went to, to art school and I, I'm curious what year you went to art school and when you started as an illustrator, because you were doing a lot of before you were showing. Uh, as far as I know, you were doing a lot of illustration work before you were doing the fine art stuff. So, yeah, I was um, I was in school in the 80s. Okay. Uh, I was I was at Pratt Institute when the uh, when the Mets won the World Series. So that's 1986. Okay. Uh, seems like just yesterday that ball went between Buckner's legs. 
Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you can categories with me. I, I apologize. <laughs> and then, uh, oddly enough, I, I was aware of other artists in the area. It, it's funny. Uh, Paul Komoda, you know, Paul Komoda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We might mm-hmm. get him on too. He was yeah. going completely. He was going to the school of visual arts, like across town. Oh, wow. And, and people in my school knew who he was. That's how good he was. What a true. Wow. Yeah. He's a genius, man. That dude is, and talk about underrated. Jesus. Oh yeah, but it was just it was amazing. It's like, and then years later, I run into him, and now we're friends. Yeah, which is funny. And he's out here now. Uh, he's out in LA now. He sure is. Uh, so I graduated from Pratt in 1990, and then I, I I started trying to get work. That's it. Yeah. How, how long then, did it, how long did it take you before you started getting able to support yourself doing uh, illustration? It took about five years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, what we've been uh, asking all the artists. How long is it? Yeah, how, yeah. Like, what, what other angle? What other, what other angles have these artists been hustling? You know, for that five year period where you're yeah. like, you're trying to do your thing, you're impassioned, you know, you're driven, but then you have to do something. So, what were you doing? Well, um, I was trying to pay off my student loans because I pay for school myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I was at Pratt. I was working full time at Pearl Paint of all places. Oh, I worked wow. there forty hours a week. That's I a big art store in in New York, right? It's like uh, huge, I worked isn't it? On, worked at the one on Long Island, and there's oh, a okay. bunch of fun stories I could tell you privately. I wouldn't say it on the air. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you, you guys don't need litigation, so. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, I, I worked there full time, and then it wasn't enough money to pay the loans off, so I, I was working three jobs when I graduated. Wow. So I worked, I worked at a Home Depot. I worked at a Burger King and I worked at a Roy Rogers. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Three terrible was, jobs. Yeah. And, and the more the, I, I started to get raises when I was at Home Depot and, and I started to chop the other jobs off. Mm-hmm. So actually I, I worked it so that I would only have to work one job outside of doing artwork. And so I was at Home Depot mostly, I want to say from 92 to 93, but of just Home Depot alone. Mm-hmm. And then I, I took the risk and I just, I quit Home Depot in 93. Did you have something and lined up or did you just I, go for it? Just like, I was like, I'm just going to do art. I wow, decided nice. that's, nice. <laughs> that's it. And uh, very ballsy, you know, uh, yeah. it's ballsy too. And when I was able to start bringing real money in, that's when I, I, I asked my wife to marry me. Mm. And, uh, and then we got married in 95. And uh, it's been like this since, just working. Yeah. Do you remember you know. your, your first illustration job? My first illustration job was for, I think it was either, it was at NatWest, National Westminster Bank. Mm-hmm. I believe I had to paint a hedge maze. Oh, wow. <laughs> cool. It, when it's this like, was... I did a lot of work like that when is I graduated. It, was it all in your, your style that you paint now? Cause you're known for that. It's like, I know a lot of now your stuff. I remember when you were first getting popular, everyone was saying it was Photoshop and it's not, you know, it's so, but it's so realistic and tight looking that it looks like, uh, people thought, no, it's Photoshop. He's just photo. He's just scanning in old fashioned photos and, and adding stuff in Photoshop and people couldn't believe it. Even up close. It's just like, Oh my God, how is he doing this? Well, um, in the beginning, I was just, I was an acrylic guy mm-hmm. and I did work in color. So my work, my earlier work was in color. Mm. 
that's that's you know, can't work get work if you don't do color, right? Yeah, right. But then by the time the spectrum stuff rolled around, I was experimenting with what I ended up doing basically now. Okay, yeah, because that's that the painting with the, the 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 devil and the uh. There was one of of a of a a guy with horns at a table with a with the thing like a, a like he's drinking right with like a yep. little uh, glass of alcohol or something. Yeah, that was uh, that was from a story I was writing about a guy that uh, woke up one morning and he had horns growing on his head. Mm. He had uh, he had to quit his job because he couldn't work with the horns on his head. <laughs> <laughs> he ended up taking a job at uh, at, a, at a at a bagel place where he worked in the back where nobody saw him. His <laughs> horns got bigger and it started creeping out the employees. So then he found a job at at Coney Island. And uh, as uh, part of uh, the uh, the heaven and hell exhibit, hell gate, you know, uh, wow. that, would, that would have been at, at a place called Luna Park, which uh, burned down in 1911. Wow. And, uh, so he's uh, by day, he's uh, he's 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 Coney Island's one and only devil man. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, seven days a week, uh, twice on Sunday. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, <laughs> that's that's one of the the, the the amazing and I think kind of overlooked aspects of your your fine artwork. Now is that every painting has a story that goes along with it. And you know the thing the thing about your work is that it's so good it doesn't need the story. So because it's just just to look at on its own if you don't know anything the paintings you know they they tell a story and they work and they're technically just so good that that they work on their own but you also have stories for each of these paintings right yeah the the stories help me make the painting so, so yeah so you come up with the story first or, or how so does that like work of, yeah it's like part of your creative process then yeah it is uh just the idea of something i go you know i i've always wanted to paint that and mm -hmm. then i go okay you know, and, and sometimes it, it'll, it'll be something like I'll, I'll see somebody in my town and uh, I wonder, what does that guy do for a living? And then I think, ah, oh, you know, what you know that, I bet that guy does that. And then, I, you know, I start thinking of <laughs> what it does and I, I start writing a story and then suddenly I have another painting, you know. Yeah, uh, that's cool. You know, that's, how, how do you do you uh, do you have do you, have you ever painted without a story or is it there's there always a story there? There isn't always a story there. Sometimes uh, I'll, I'll be at the diner and I'll just be sketching on the, on the placemats mm. and, uh, at the Red Hook Diner, by the way. Good food. Um, <laughs> if you're in my town, go to the Red Hook Diner. Okay. Um, I better not see them placemats on eBay, though, because God damn it. Uh, <laughs> I always wonder about that because I leave half the time. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're in if an idea is really good, uh, I'll take the placemat with me, even with the, you know, with the grease on it or whatever. Right, you know, right. <laughs> you yeah, know. you're in Red Hook, Red Hook, New York. Is that where you live? I'm in Red Hook, New York. It's uh, not not to be confused with Red Hook that's in Brooklyn. I'm in Red Hook in upstate New York. Okay. I'm about 125 miles north of Manhattan. Crazy. So, uh, yeah, you're up, yet I, out there. I still teach Manhattan, too, which is kind of funny. Yeah, you, um, you teach at the Pratt Institute as well, as having gone there. Actually, right? no, Pratt is this, I always joke, Pratt is the school that pretends I don't exist. I actually teach at the School of Visual Arts. Oh, I thought you taught at Pratt all this time. Oh, no, no they, uh, they're they a weird place. It, it, I mean, it's funny. I think they don't like what I do. I think that's what it is. So weird. Mm. I mean, you're that's so dumb. You're a successful fine artist, right? 
people, you know, you're, you're, you are contemporary. You are what's going on right now and they don't want you there. It's just stupid. It, it's okay. It's fine. I do you know, it's just, I think, I think, I think it's kind of funny because I ended up teaching at the school that I applied to that. I didn't go to because I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get as much, you know, Pratt gave me a scholarship. Uh, so I was, that's, I, I was able to, to cover it, uh, without that scholarship, I wouldn't have gone. Um, but at SVA, I couldn't get a scholarship from them. Um, is, that, is that where Paul Komoda went? Paul Komoda went to SVA. I would have oh. gone to school with Paul Komoda. Yeah. It, and now you're I teaching there. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's fine. I get, I get alumni letters from uh, SVA all the time asking me to donate to the, you know, because they, they, I think they think I went there. <laughs> <laughs> and then Pratt forgot you went there. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> It's all a big blur because a lot of the instructors teach at both schools. You know, oh, it's weird. not much to take the subway and go to go from Brooklyn to Manhattan. You know, people just do it all the time. So huh. I get it, you know. Right, right. But it's funny how tastes change. I think when I first showed up in 91, my, my work just wouldn't, it just didn't work. You know, I, I think that has a lot to do with how artists, uh, you know, get their niche audience at all it's timing you know just okay picture this do you think that mark ryden would be as successful he is right now right uh rather would be as successful as he is right now if he had tried to exhibit those paintings in 1959 i doubt it absolutely not yeah yeah i know what you're saying yeah timing is everything yeah that's true So did did you, did you have, uh, how did your, your, uh, your fine art style develop? Did you just come out the gate with these monsters, the way you do these kind of, uh, whimsical monsters, or did you have a period of development? Cause I know when I started painting, I was doing, everything was dark and creepy for me, you know, my, this kind of thing I do, but I didn't settle on the, uh, the portraits, which are kind of my thing now, the monster portraits. Before that, I was doing like close-ups of eyes and just more ab- slightly abstract stuff. So I'm wondering if you just kind of uh, uh, if you developed your style, or if it was an idea that you had that you just was like, "I'm going to go for this for my fine artwork." It was, it was an idea because, and you just went for it and it hit right away, right? Yeah, because I, I son of a I'm bitch. That, that the first thing <laughs> I, I tried didn't work. It was uh, it was these chickens. And they were these. Uh, oh, that was for your fine art stuff, the chickens. Yeah, that was. Oh, fine that's arts. hilarious! I, I always assumed that was from your illustration days. Oh no, no, I was developing a bunch of paintings <laughs> that, were, that were based on stills from movies, uh, <laughs> noir pictures. You know. Yeah, right, right. I remember. I've yeah, seen those. Yeah, great. I've seen. Those. How did you see those? I don't know. I don't know not- how I've seen them, but I've seen them. They're and, like uh, chicken gangsters or something, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, one of them, one of them made it into Spectrum. I believe uh, the counterfeit Cluckers painting made it into Spectrum. Okay, that's maybe that's where I saw it. And uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it would be the, the 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 typical things that you'd find in a noir picture. You know, mm-hmm. this uh, gangster picture. So there's like a bunch of chickens running a, a counterfeit operation. There's uh, <laughs> there's a booster about to make a hit on somebody. <laughs> so you did you experiment. Know? Okay, good. And there were somewhere in my studio. There's a drawing of these chickens in a supermarket having a meeting, and uh, and it's 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 basically it's, it's Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck from uh, a movie that they were in called Double Indemnity. Oh yeah, that's a great one. I love but, film noir. Yeah, mm. 
That's great. But it, it's a it's a it's a Fred McMurray rooster and a, and a Bob Stanwyck uh, chicken, and that's you know, that's what I did, you know. But it, it it just didn't. Nobody was buying those things, right? So I just decided, okay, let me go back to the thing that I was doing before, which was these 1920s, uh, 1890s to 1920s style uh, portraits, right? And 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 here we are. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If you're not familiar with his work, I mean, we'll have. Um, I think we'll you know we'll have an image of yours for our for the little placard the advertisement we we use and and to put on the soundcloud page and stuff but um yeah if you haven't seen his work what is is the best place travis com or or is that is that the travis travis com yeah yeah and you gotta see if you haven't seen it it's it's really incredible and these are not photoshops these are not digitally these are painted by hand using acrylics correct Yes, you've you've explained the technique to me a million times, and I still am like, how the hell? I don't get it. I don't see how it's possible. But did, but did, you you've watched me do it. I know, I know. But it's still, it's like it doesn't seem possible to get that kind of polish the way you're doing it. You know, I guess I haven't tried it myself, so it just seems it just seems impossible. It's a really really unusual technique. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anyone paint like you before. Oh, do you know people that paint like you? Well, the, the guy that taught me painted like that. Oh, really? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I learned how to paint from a guy that lived across the street from me. He was a photo retoucher uh, from the 1940s. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a totally different thing. That's not like a fine art painter type of technique in a way. You know what I'm saying? It's really unique. No, it's, it's all about matching grain. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you familiar with old photo retouching techniques? You know, a lot of the spotting. Uh, you're, you're essentially matching the grain of the enlargement of the negative, right? right? So he had some weird stuff at his house, man. He had this table that was like spring-loaded, so it had like a slight vibration to it. So you put the thing down, you'd say the, it, would, it would create a motion blur So if you touched the brush to it. Really? Right? Uh, yeah, he had some weird stuff. Wow. He, had a, he had these old compressors that were belt-driven compressors, like something you'd find... In in, uh, in 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 the old Chicago exposition of like 1892 or something, right. like, oh, cool. <laughs> so this dude uh, is a big influence on you, I guess, huh? Oh yeah, and and because of him, I, that's why I collect all the old photographs. What's it? What was his and, name? Uh, his name is Elliot Shearer, and uh, he was he's a retoucher, and he also did some illustration work. And uh, you've seen some of his retouch work, actually. If you've ever bought a copy of, was it Monopoly or The Game of Life? He's the guy. He's one of the guys that retouched the old. Uh, but yeah, you, you would have had to buy the game in 1973. Right, right. And we're talking about photo retouching bef- way before Photoshop, back when there was well, no Photoshop. There was no computers. But, there's no Photoshop <laughs> in 1973. Right. So it, people were painting on these photo retouching was yeah, painting yeah. On, a, on a photo, which seems crazy. Well, the, the trick was you had to use a matte, a matte photo because that, that, right. that could take take the paint mm-hmm. right um you couldn't you know so i still use that kind of technique today to to just to just paint right um, yeah which are the way you paint is with really thin acrylic washes right pretty much yeah then yeah. uh i mean there is graphite underneath i mean if you look at the gradations there's a lot of graphite there oh is that is that so you can see the graphite that's part of uh, well, that. definitely you can see the oh graphite. interesting i didn't know that Oh yeah, if you look really close, you could you could see it. Oh. I, um, I was at I was at Copro, and 
And Greg Escalante brought Robert Williams in, and he looked at one of my pieces. But uh, you were there, actually. He had a loop in his hand. Uh. <laughs> well, actually, he didn't have the loop right away. What it was was he he looked at the work, and then he went over to Gary and said, "You've been had. These are prints." Uh. And I'm just like, oh shit! That's not, these aren't prints. And then uh, you know, Greg was busting my chops, you know, of course. And then of course, you know, Robert Williams, his uh, his wife whipped out a loop and held it up to the painting and said, look, see, Robert, see those brush strokes? And he goes, all right, okay. And that's then, and hilarious, he, man. That's fine. That's, you know? that's better than any any uh, uh, any kind of approval you could get from a guy like Robert Williams to have fooled him. You know, that's better than him saying, these are amazing, him saying, these are fake. That's even better. Yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Is that why you have the little, uh, you, you, I know you, I don't know if you still do, but you, I, for years you were wearing that little eyeglass. Does that have anything to do with that? <laughs> it does. Uh, was, um, and it's funny. It's because there, there, okay. How do I explain this? There, there was an artist that showed up. His name was Chris Barron's. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember. I remember. Him. Uh, I, I, I was at a show in New York and I'm not going to say the names of the other guys, but these two other artists were complaining about Chris Barron's work and saying, oh, he's using computers and right. this and there this. Was, there was a big controversy with that, I remember. A I, had, that. I, had my, I had my loop on me, and I was able to hold it up, and I showed them. I said, look, this is not, it's not what you think it is. Just because you haven't done it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> Touche. And, uh, and the other thing was, he was, he has a very interesting technique. He has a technique that's really weird. What he's working on is a like a sort of plastic material. Yeah, like I thought he was painted on acetate or something. It's a kind of acetate. Mm -hmm. So he paints with um, like dyes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, excuse me, they're not dyes. They're actually, they, they are pigment. They're not dyes, they're pigmented because that's, that's why they're light fast. So when he's painting with these things, uh, he then takes a heat gun or a blow dryer to it and, the, and then the things shrink. Yeah, it's like shrinky dinks. Right. Exactly. So what is what, what happens when you use a shrinky dink? What Every, happens? It shrink, everything shrinks. Right? Yeah, yeah. So now it looks now way better than when you. I remember when I was a kid. I did doing doing the uh, be kind to monsters. Frankenstein had shrinky dink and right. coloring it in, right. and then when it shrunk, it's like that looks so amazing. It looks so much tighter, and <laughs> and you know, like anytime you shrink happened. something, it looks better. You know. That's what happened. So the grain from his brush strokes disappeared because mm. it shrank. So there, so these two artists are looking up at the work and they're saying all these horrible things about his work right in front of him, by the way, which I thought was so rude. Really? Wow. I couldn't believe it. And uh, privately, I'll tell you who, who it was right. and you'll laugh. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, you guys, you take a look at this loop. You'll see. Take a look. Just look and you'll see what, you know. So if, you, if something shrinks, it's like a magic trick. You can't tell right. what's going on. Yeah. And that would, that's the illusion with his work. Like, you know, if you look at it, like with a loop, you could see. But without it, with the naked eye, you can't see what the hell he's doing. Right. And that's funny. You know? Yeah. So I think that's that's a funny thing. It's, um... Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Travis always wears it. Do you still wear that thing? I do. I do. He, he, that's his little signature. He wears like a, a little... What, it's, is it a loop or is it... It's more like a little magnifying glass. He wears it around it his neck on a necklace. A magnifying glass that opens up to a pair of reading glasses. Right. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> it's the it's Travis about, Louis trade. Now I actually have to use them. My eyes are, you know, I'm getting older. My eyes are yeah. uh, doing that. You know. I don't know about you. But oh, it's man. I, I need, I need fashion, fashion becomes necessity. <laughs> 
I need to get, I need prescription glasses so bad. And I just, for some reason I've never had them before. So I'm like resistant to the idea, but man, everything's, it was right around 40. I started my friend, Mitch Devane, that guy, the sculptor I worked with for years. He's like, yeah, right around 40, you're going to start losing your eyesight. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Cause I always had great eyesight. And then right. It was like practically the day I turned 40, I started noticing. And at this point I'm going to be 50 and it's just like, everything's blurry. Yeah. <coughs> You, you and I are a lot further than 40 at this point. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you know, I, I kind of lucked out because even though I, did, I hated it, I got glasses in the second grade because I literally couldn't even see the chalkboard from like three rows back. And my grades were dropping and they were like, this kid's smart. What's going on? I couldn't read it. I just literally couldn't couldn't read it. And so they were like, hey, he needs glasses. Now, seriously, I take out my contacts. You'd be like, you know. That far away, what am I holding that out? 18 inches? Nada. It's like your face is a blur. You look like a monster, you know? Like anybody that's standing near me without contact, their face is like, you know? So in some ways, I got a foot up because I'm really used to it, you know? I've been doing it my whole life. And then I I see people like my mom, for instance, she's losing her sight as she gets older. And she's a lot older than you, that's for sure. But uh, nevertheless, you know, it's like, I kind of, I'm kind of glad that I got through that when I was young. And plus it was harsh because everyone picks on you. So like, it's Mike for us. And you just got to deal with it. You got to suck that shit up and be like, you know what? Who cares what they fucking think anyway? You know, you know it's funny that you mentioned that because I was talking uh, to Lee Shamel is another artist we need to have on the uh, podcast. He, he, he molded and casted my frames for me. He's really great. And he does these incredible sculptures that are just mind blowing. But he was telling me just because this came up, he was telling me how he, when he was a kid, the, uh, hopefully he won't get mad at me for telling telling it. I don't think it's a bad story. It's actually really funny, but um, he, he said that I think he was in like the second grade or something. And the teacher said, gave him a note and said, I want you to give this to your parents. And he thought it was cause he was in trouble. So he threw the note away and it turns out the note was your, I think your son needs glasses. And so, <laughs> and so the teacher the next day said, so what do you, what do you, uh, <clears throat> what did your parents say about the note? And he said, Oh, they said it's fine. It's no big deal. So he totally got busted <laughs> because he tr- tried to throw the note away. Maybe he actually did do something. And, and, and right. He, yeah. He's amazing. He got caught. He's like, how did they find out? <laughs> oh, it's like, uh, you know, he's still maybe, you know, you, you, what kids do. Right. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. Cause kids have secrets. They really do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, and then you guys paint your secrets as, as you know, in your midlife, it's like you, you have all these little kid secrets and you carry them around in this little, you know, invisible bag that no one else gets to see and yeah. kind of covetously, you know, <laughs> and then eventually you get to this stage where you have the skill set and, and, you know, the drive and the direction and you start painting your secrets and selling them to people. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, th- thankfully it's, it's nothing bad. Right. You know? I'm, <laughs> right. I'm always leery of the, of the guy who's like telling stories about like his childhood and, and he puts it in his paintings and like, and, and he's like, and that's where we hung him right over there. I'm like, Whoa, what? What? That's you know, that's those kind of secrets. I, I don't want to know, dude. That's not, you know, like, wait, he knows too much. You have to kill him. Same way. You know, Hey, do, I, sorry. Uh, Go on. <laughs> do you use, do you use any mediums or do you just use water to thin? Do you use any acrylic uh, mediums? Some, sometimes I use uh, like uh, Golden's acrylic medium, yeah, uh, like a matte medium. Sometimes I'll mix it with the water, you know. Uh, it does stuff to the paint, you know. 
uh, it could it could it could stretch a, a, a gradation a little bit in, yeah, in spots. Yeah, yeah. Because I I know Crayola, who's an acrylic painter. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Greg Simpkins. Crayola. He, that's his painter name, I guess. I don't know what he goes goes by now, but he does these big ass acrylic paintings, and he uses only water. He doesn't use any mediums, which I find kind of amazing to just use water to thin everything. So once I started, well, I was started with acrylics before I moved to oils. And I, and once I start figured it, realized how amazing mediums were, I, I, I just changed the way I was painting in acrylics. Cause you can do some really cool glazes and, but I thought it was pretty strange that he uses no, no mediums. So I was wondering if you did too. Well, there was a, there was a guy, um, his name was, uh, Robert Lagrippo. I don't know if you know, you've mm-hmm. ever heard of him. He, he was a, he was an illustrator in the 1970s and he was teaching at Pratt and we used to call him cracks uh, because he had this technique where he, he'd make a painting look like it was full of cracks. So mm. it would, you know, they always asked him to do portraits of like, you know, Christopher Columbus and shit like that for like time magazine. And you know, you have to make it look like an old painting. So there's like little cracks in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like crazy. So, yeah. yeah. And he's, used all these different mediums and so we used to say oh here look it's cracks <laughs> <laughs> cracks mcgee <laughs> so, uh, he demonstrated the different mediums in class one day and i you know i learned a lot just watching him oh that's cool you know, he was doing he said always have a blow dryer yeah always have, right. test, always have tester sheets and write down everything that you're doing so that you could do it again yeah, that's smart because you never know like because you know the, i i believe in the uh the happy accident, but it, it could be in, instead of a happy accident, it could become the happy methodology you just discovered because you've been writing things down. Right. That's uh, true. No shit. Yeah. Right. And also yeah. there, there's going to be this day. It's going to happen. Someone's going to, I tell my students this, someone's, somebody is going to call you up and say, listen, that painting you did 10 years ago, this happened. Right. And <laughs> now you got to fix it. And you're like, Oh, how do I, <laughs> you know, everything that you used. Right. But then you just go back and just do it again. I can right. I can really relate to that as a filmmaker because like when I was making the documentary for for Chet and there's actually a little bit of a, a a tangent here which is I actually want to thank you publicly Travis because ultimately we ended up in the Ithaca International Fantastic Film Festival as a result of you. Oh, that's um, right. You got us in the back so, door. So you know, yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> the one that you know, here I dropped like what over four grand or something on all these submissions to all these places that were like nah, and then <laughs> you hooked us up totally in the back door and they treated us like kings up there. It was amazing. Yeah. So anyway, little that's a little bit of a tangent but thank you. Um, but when I was directing, I like to paint monsters, you know, I keep like these notes about color correction. Cause I was learning all of this color correction as I was doing it. And I was writing all the codes down of different combinations. And at a given point in time, I realized, you know, I could just be copying, pasting these, you know, I, I made the palette. I can copy, paste it onto the rest of the clips, you know, but then I was like, you know, the reality is it's really valuable to have this. And so, and Chet's seen my shit. I'm, I'm like, I have just volumes of information and I keep all this stuff. And it's like, you could look at it and be like, what's that? What, what, what does that matter? But like you said, who knows, maybe my distribution company comes back and they want to put it out on, you know, Blu-ray and we've got to go in there and do some kind of a thing. And now I know that I actually have all of those codes literally written down and there's a header and it all makes sense, you know? So I'm, I'm of that same mindset in so far as, making sure that what we're learning as we go along becomes something that's more befitting to us as professionals in our career as we move forward, you know? Yeah, that's, that's very important. Uh, I, I, I'm a believer in all that. I'm sure, um, you know, as, as we, we switch 
right, to, to new technology, right? Technology mm. is constantly uh, making adjustments that we have to adjust to. Right. Yeah? Whether it's uh, people using ZBrush, right? Mm -hmm. I, that program's probably changed since it first came out. Yep, definitely. But, um, you, you, you have to adjust. Yep. You know, write things down. I mean, even, even now, uh, you know, as, a, as, a, as an art form, people that do digital work, their work is going to look so different in 10 years because the, the computers are going to be better. Yeah. And, yep. and uh, yeah, they're better now. I mean, uh, if you think about what they were using when they made Jurassic Park compared to what they're using now. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure the computers have way more memory uh, and the processors are way faster now. That was, yeah, you know, it's, that was back with the $100,000 computer back then, I think it was what it was. The, they were called SGI machines, I believe. 100000 bucks for one computer. Right. Yeah, well, and I, I actually was just talking to a buddy who of mine who works for Microsoft, and he's he's in an incubation team, and they're working on technology that's not planned to be released for, for eight years from now. Really? And they're working on it right now. Yeah. Crazy. So there's the, you know, yeah, the technology and, and the stats are like, what, for a five-year-old, 75% of jobs for a five-year-old have yet to be discovered or made or created. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty intense what we're headed into. I think so. Um, yeah. Exciting well, though. Too. I, I wonder though, I mean, I, I am noticing in the students, the, cause I watched them come through now that I've, I've been, I've been teaching there since uh, 2010. Yeah. So I actually watched some of my students graduate at this point. So it's oh, very wow. interesting to see how, um, how they've adjusted, you know, mm -hmm. and, and what they've seen versus what we've seen. Right. You know, we, we grew up, uh, when we were children, these computers did not exist. Right. So nobody had cell phones. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think I think there's a there's this there's this attention span thing that's that's going on where people have shorter attention spans and everybody wants things fast. Everybody's in a hurry, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I kind of wonder about that, you know, because I think people lose stuff. Yeah, you know? I, I, I wanted to uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to to uh, get into that. You're you're teaching and uh, you say you start teaching in 2010. Um, I'm just curious. A lot of people that listen to the podcast are, you know, artists or, or uh, amateur artists or people that are learning and people that, you know, paint as well you know that painting is we're learning we're still learning i'm definitely still learning all the time um i'm just curious how, how the the experience of teaching has has been for you how it's if it's changed your the way you work and i'm also really curious how um wh what you see in your students like the the pluses and the minuses like what are the uh some of the maybe things that we didn't have that are their bonuses for them that are pluses for them that, that, that extra, uh, you know, information or whatever. But, and also, you know, you're talking about the short expansion, attention uh, span. I'm sure there's some negatives that come along with that too. Cause you're seeing like a whole new crop of young artists all the time. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that, um, they have the luxury of being able to find anything anytime they want. Right. Um, Isn't that amazing? Uh, we used to have to go to the libraries. I go to libraries. And there know? was like and two books on what you wanted to learn, and you had to get those two books and read them from front to back, which is totally different now than, you know, finding. Yeah, or you're having, a, you're having a fist fight with another student over that book. Right. <laughs> uh, you know what? If I just 
you know, jack this guy right now. I'll take the book from him. And then, <laughs> <laughs> it was Brooklyn after all. Um, uh, not not gentrified Brooklyn like now. It was like Brooklyn, like like you know, uh, uh, Mike Tyson's Brooklyn. That's right. the, that's. Um, but now you could go on. You could just look in your phone. It's you know, amazing. It's like I need. A, it's like I need a picture of a pangolin. A pangolin? What's that? <laughs> look it up, and they could see a picture of a pangolin. You know, I could I could mention some weird obscure actor's name, and they could look it up right away. Like, oh, this guy. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's really uh, incredible. That's what Dick Miller looks like. Dick Miller? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Uh, Larry Stork. Larry Stork. <laughs> you know? uh, yep. And, um, yeah. I, so, I, I love all those old character guys. So I'm always using little uh, bits yeah. of you know, I look at their face. I feel like Drew Friedman sometimes, you know, how he does that. Yeah, Drew Friedman's incredible. If you haven't seen Drew Friedman's stuff, oh, my God, so good. I haven't. Oh, yeah, it's amazing, amazing, amazing. It's uh, I love following his posts on Facebook. I mean, today he posted a picture of Danny Thomas. And uh, right away I thought, Danny Thomas? He, he used to have a, a sitcom on television called Make Room for Daddy. Yeah, I remember and, that. Uh, and uh, but it's funny, but the, the image that came to my head was Danny Thomas from a, an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show where he plays an alien and there's like walnuts and people lose their thumbs. It was really strange. Get <laughs> <laughs> my head. When I, it's like Danny Thomas. You know? do, um, do you have a do you have a, a like. Is there a one. You know, overarching point you want to drive into your students heads. Is there like one big thing that you're like you tell all of your students? Is there is there don't like be lazy? Don't be lazy. <laughs> and draw and draw all the time. Right. Because Every day. Learn, yeah. learn how to you you learn how to use your hands. Right. Right. Um, I think I think one of the pitfalls from the phones and the computers, as the kids have terrible hand skills. I'm fine. Oh, interesting. Because they they because they never learn how to write like script, right? So they don't they don't hold the pencil the right way. Huh. There 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 are reasons why you hold tools a certain way, right? Right. It's like if you can imagine a world where no one ever put lug nuts on a car to put a tire on a car, right? Mm. And you and these kids they wouldn't know how to use the a lug wrench, right? Can you? Because they never, you know, they never did it. Well, it's like that with the, um, with, with, with pencils, you know, with lead holders, mm-hmm. which I'm to use. And I look at the way they're holding them. And I'm like, wow, you have, uh, you have absolutely no control over that tool because of the way you're holding it. Wow. And that happens. Yeah. Yeah. What a trip. I never thought about it. Yeah. Well, they, they never learned how to write script. There's yeah. a whole generation of kids that don't know how to write script. It, lo- it looks like a alien language. It looks like Sanskrit to them. Right. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating. That's totally fascinating because I did. I mean, I, I'm on the I'm a little bit younger than you guys. I'll be 38 this month. So but my parents are baby boomers. My parents are both 71. And so I came from a little bit of, of your guys's era ultimately. And I grew up I was at the tail end of that. You know, I'm I'm like right in the middle of that Gen X thing. And it, we still were writing cursive. You know, I mean, that was the thing you had to learn it. You had to do it. And I was left handed. So everybody was down on me from the get, you know, because I'm dragging my hand through my pencil lead and got the thing and smearing everything and they're like what what so yeah it's funny i never thought of that either chet that's fascinating to learn that that's that's uh something that's standing in the way of people's artistry. yeah it is interesting thought. it's like it's like idiocracy it's like so mike judge 
that's what you learn in in your when you when you okay when you're in art class in like the second grade, you're learning how to use tools. You're mm-hmm. learning how to use scissors, how to use you know brushes to apply the rubber cement from that little metal can. I don't know if you did that. Oh right? yeah, you, yeah, oh yeah. And even to sprinkle some fucking glitter on some shit, you're still using this <laughs> rubber cement. So you're learning how to use those tools, and um. I'm, I, I kind of wonder, because if you don't have these fine motor skills, how are you, how you, how are you going to become a surgeon at some point in your life if you want to become that? That's interesting, you know? yeah. Because you wouldn't have the motor skills to operate such fine tools. Right. And, you right? Know, and it's when you're, you know, when you're at that age is when you're really, those, those motor skills are really rooted in your, in your psyche. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, the neural pathways are all, that's when all the neural pathways are doing their thing, you know? Right. It's, like, it's like all those kids that um, are growing up in Cuba that become great baseball players. They've been playing baseball since they were little kids. So then all of a sudden they get to a certain age and they have, and, and there's something that they have this ability, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because they've been doing it their whole lives. And that's, that's how they, they have these such great baseball players right. that become ported from, from uh, the Latin American countries because right. they just, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's like, well, it's like bull riders from Brazil. Same thing, exactly. you know, riding. Yeah. I mean, those guys are just squashing it all over the world tournament because, well, they're from Brazil and that's what they did for, since they were, you know, knee high to the, to, to a, to a, bull. To a <laughs> corn stop. I mean, <laughs> Chet, to a bull. Chet, you, you, you remember the first time that you were like, I'm going to paint oils, right? Yeah. What was that? You know, it's like you're, 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 you're teaching yourself, but yet, but you, yet you you had motor skills right right from having worked in the effects industry yeah absolutely yeah yeah it, yeah it, i felt like i you know i felt like it was a, a a a lot of stuff that someone that had never done it at all i had a much easier time painting in oils because i already had you know i i already had so much experience you know just making stuff using a brush even there though it was go. acrylic, you know, it was painting creatures and masks. It's like, it's, it was so much, so similar. It was just on a 2d surface, you know? And plus I had always, I had a strong drawing background. That was probably the biggest, the biggest, um, uh, you know, boon I had in painting is that I, I, I knew how to create the illusion of depth and shadow and light and stuff just from drawing my whole life since I was three years old, you know? Drawing was always the the backbone of everything I, I do now, even, you know, it was always drawing. That's the one thing I was always doing. It is the key to everything, the structure, right? Yeah. That's what I remember. You told me one time, drawing is painting. I remember you're the guy who told me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, if you can't, you can't draw something, you know, how are you going to be able to paint it? You right. Know? Um, <laughs> that's just, that's just one of those. And, and. And, and I'm talking about very specific kinds of artists because art, as you know, art is a, it, it's a series of languages, really, if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, whether you're an abstract painter or, or, or anyone working in, in the other kinds of art that are out there in the ether, right? Mm. Um, it's all about communication and language. And, uh, but then there are people that get hired, right, to do things, very specific things. They're the ones that know how to do all the drawing. They're the ones who know, who know how to design things, right? Right. That's difference. It's a. I, th- I I wish that there was more of an appreciation for the guys that you know make things, that design things, mm. have some kind of handle on the structures of things, you know. And the craft. Even, 
Yeah, because even even now, I mean, I, I I look at the the history of illustration classes that are being taught at the schools, and they don't mention any of these guys hmm. that we grew up looking at. Really? Like they should they should be talking about Sid Mead. Oh yeah. And Ron Cobb. Mm-hmm. Remember Cobb? Yep. Right. Uh, they should be talking about uh, guys working now. You know, uh, they should be talking about Crash McCurry and you know you know Miles Tevez and Carlos Fuente and right. you know. Jordu Shell, all these guys, right? right yeah, doing stuff. They make the ch- Chets are, you know, what I mean, the, 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 the <laughs> Travis <thing>. Louie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about me. I'm not one of the guys, but um, you, you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they just left out. They don't, they don't even mention it. They spend all their time talking about things that are a little more esoteric, a little more, you know. Uh, almost, almost, I, I want to say leaning a little bit more toward what they think fine art is supposed to be. Right. Right. It's what, what it could be. Right. Right. Well, I mean, why, why close the door on possibilities? Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's the thing too, sure. that drives me nuts is, um, it seems like it's the, I never went to school, but from what I hear there was, um, and I, and I don't think it's as bad as where you teach, but in some, some art schools, it's like, it's all esoteric. And none of the tech technical stuff. And it's like, how are you going to get the spiritual thing if you can't even fucking hold your pencil right? How are you going to make the magic if you don't know how to technically lay the paint in the right way? You know, it's all fine and good. It's kind of like when we were talking with Gabe last week. It's, you know, it, it is really, you know, art. It really is a spiritual thing. It's a magical thing. And it's a it's this uh, um sublime thing but you can't make that thing happen if you don't have the skills to to communicate your idea you know that's why that's why a lot yeah. you know you get a lot of people just like thinking oh i can do it anybody can do it you know just bleh, putting a bunch of crap on there and saying this is my feeling and it's like whoa and then they wonder why no one will buy it or it's not popular because it's like well, you got to know what all, you're doing before you do the I, crazy I, stuff I, like that you know it's, it's all it's all valid Okay. Uh, all that is valid. Art is art. You know, uh, the conversation is a continuing conversation, and it always references the past. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I, I just, I just feel like that they, they shouldn't be afraid of us, and they, they and they should brace the idea of designers. Right. I mean, Absolutely. If you think of, if you think of somebody, let's say, okay. I always like to use this guy as an example. You know who Malcolm Sayer is? No. He designed he designed the E-type Jaguar in the 1960s. Okay. Everyone has seen that car. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say, uh, what's the name of that car? There's a there's a company that's that they always they always call it one of the greatest car designs ever. Mm-hmm. Is that Jaguar? Right. Mm-hmm. But he's an artist. He designed this thing, right? Right. And and it touches so many people. But nobody seems to know who he is. Right. I think that's that's kind of sad. I think we we should all know who that is. Right. Yeah. And this, yeah. That uh, we know who Joe Montana is. You yeah. know. Yeah. Or, you know. You know. It's like this is a guy who designed a thing that all these people use. Right. That's I what mean, I mean. You know. Yeah. That's no, cool. I, I remember Cam DeLeon telling me that it's like everything. You know, look around you. Everything in your environment right now has been designed by somebody. You know, and it's like yeah. these are artists, and it's like you you never you never know about the guy who designed your your desk or your um 
you know, your printer and you know, all the stuff is like, does, there's a design element in all of it, you know? There is. And I think it's, uh, it's lost and mm-hmm. it's, it's a shame people don't give them any kind of recognition, you know, right. of, uh, they'd rather talk about And then, then there's the, there's the hype machine of the, of the high art world too. I mean, there, there is that. And if somebody, I, I'm always suspect. Ugh, don't get me started. Somebody, <laughs> like, I don't know. But when someone has to tell you that something is good. Right. Right. Their, their, their word choices Ugh. don't make sense. And Ugh. you know, we're not, we're, we're not, we're not children. We, we, we know right. how to read. We, we understand what, what the words, you know, uh, how they work in sentences and stuff. You know, we speak this language, right? Right. So, uh, why, why, why would something that, that essentially is, is, um, like, uh, uh, the, 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 the wallpaper of a particular, particular moment in time that some, some art critic, uh, who, who's, who's standing on the shoulders of other art critics before him is telling you, but he has such, that art critic has such a disconnect to the actual act of art making that what he says doesn't make any sense. Right. He's saying, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, there is that, there was, there was a time when those who, uh, describe the art had a, had an actual hands-on understanding of what was going on. Mm-hmm. If you think about, uh, there, there's a great book that, that they made us read in art school. It's, um, it's, uh, Vasari. Are you familiar with Vasari? It's, I think it's called The Lives of the Artists, and he describes uh, what it was like to be uh, one of those great old masters and, and how they had this, these apprenticeships. And he had people, uh, like everyone had a team, right? Right. Because uh, back then you couldn't just go, you know, go down to uh, Dick uh, Blake. <laughs> you had someone get pigment and break it down, you know, into a powder. And then mix it with the proper mediums, the right oil to right. make oil, and then to make brush, someone had to actually make the brushes. Right. Be using right. Yep. And if you had to do all that, you'd have no time to paint. So yeah. you have to have <laughs> oil, right. So uh, it's a great it's a great book that it describes these things. Now it, you know it, we don't we weren't there, so we just have to take his word for it. Yeah. Right. And it makes sense, you know. Uh, but even even closer to our time, I would say um, you read you read uh, things written by a guy named John Ruskin. Do you know who John Ruskin is? I know the name, but I don't. I don't John, yeah, John the name's Ruskin. familiar. He he's uh, he, he was an art critic in England in in the 1850s, and uh, he um, he was the champion for the actual Pre-Raphaelites. The, the 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 not 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 what became known as Pre-Raphaelites, but the actual the Brotherhood. There were mm-hmm. those those these guys that met at the Art Academy in in England. Um, and, uh, the, the Royal Academy and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you know, uh, John Everett Malays, uh, uh, Dante Gabriel Rossetti, those guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, he was their champion, but he was also a really good watercolor artist. So he, he understood what those guys were doing right. he, knew, he you know, what, what, so when he described what was going on, it, it made sense. Right. You know? Um, it's, uh, it's, we, we live in a different time now we, where that's such a disconnect. I mean, you have guys that are criticizing art shows that don't know anything about painting. Right. It, yeah. And you have, was, and you have artists that don't know anything about painting. <laughs> and you, you have artists <laughs> that don't know anything about art. You know, I, I, I see stuff all the time now and that where 
where it's like, okay, why is this person famous? There's no, I mean, I, I know painting and I know art and this is, I know enough of the history to know that this is okay. It's nothing special. It's okay. But why is this, you know, held up as this great example, the new thing? It's it's a fucking total scam. I'm telling you, it's a scam. <laughs> it's like it's a small group of really rich collectors and a small group of curators, and they are telling the rich people what to buy, and they hand select different people, not based on merit, but based on probably you know, their attitude and their looks and how, you know, how much bullshit they could pile on to, to this weird thing they're selling. And it's all, it's like, it's almost like a money laundering scam. I think, I really think it's total bullshit. It, it drives me nuts. And it's not like that kind of artwork is like you're saying it is valid. It's valid. It's, it's valid. It's just not the best. Like, like it's put as it's, it's not like this is there. It's presented as this is the best. This is worth a million dollars, you know, this, and it's not, it's not definitely not. If anything, it's less than what guys like me and you are doing that actually know the craft mm -hmm. and know how to, how to make a powerful image and know about design and know about technique. And I just think, I think it's a scam. It, it drives me insane. Uh, I'm sorry. That was my, that was my little rant. Chet, Chet's soapbox. Now oh. Chet will step <laughs> down and allow someone else to speak. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm a little kinder, I guess. Yeah, I know. And, uh, <laughs> I think that, um, I'm like, it all has those place. guys. <laughs> it all has place. But what, what's happened is the disconnect. They, they, they've, they've, they've managed to force themselves into this disconnect with the public about what art actually is right. or what it could be uh, and, with, 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 the, with this, this ongoing uh, discussion, right? Yeah. What's so now, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's going to happen if they let us in? Their whole little house of cards would collapse because it's like we're doing stuff for a tenth of the price. We've got way more fans than these people at these major galleries have. And I'm not saying all of them because there are some really amazing painters that, that actually make it into the blue chip galleries and they know what they're doing. But there are some that that don't. And, um, you know, what would happen to that whole system? It would just the whole system is based upon people telling these rich people that know nothing about art what is good. And so then when you've got these kind of like, you know, guys that are selling directly to that have big fan bases and are selling at reasonable prices to them, it completely undercuts everything that they're telling their buyers. You know, it's like a falsely inflated little closed system to get rich people's money. I think I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. So we're, we're every, every time <laughs> is a unique time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if, if, uh, if that would happen, if there would be such a collapse, as you say, I don't think that, would. uh, because a couple of things, what, what, what are the things? Uh, the first thing is that, um, the money will decide what the value something is. When I say the money, I mean the enablers. Yes. Right. Right. So, I mean, what, what, what are the four things, right? The four things of, of the, the, the four pillars of the art world you have. You have money, obviously. You have uh, this sort of uh, notion of, of history, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that, as, as that relates to antiquity and those things that came before, right? Mm -hmm. 
and, and then you have um, the the zeitgeist, which is sort of like uh, what is the now, what mm-hmm. is right, yeah, and 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 then you have the, the this sort of uh, this sort of unknown thing, this right. unknown, right, the it factor, which I guess sort of relates to the zeitgeist, you know. But those four things are always going on. Now the money will always decide uh, what is valuable, right, and and it will uphold its value. See, because if you have a person who has wealth, real wealth, I mean wealth that, that the kind of wealth that is uh, inherited, right? Right. Like, you know, uh, that that's a whole other kind of money that yeah. people don't seem to understand. I'm not talking about the salary of a basketball player. I'm talking about the guy who yeah. pays that. <laughs> the guy who owns the team. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that kind of wealth, right? And we're talking old money. Yeah, old money, yeah. money goes back to like robber barons. Right. Money that goes back to uh, the Gold Coast of, uh, of, of Long Island, you know, right. the North family Shore. money. Yeah. The Vanderbilts, the Carnegie's, that sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. That kind of money. They, those people somewhere in there, they've invested money in, in some of this artwork and they will, they, they'll be damned if they see it decrease in value. Right. So that stuff have its place. But and that's also, what I'm saying. That's the kind of the artificiality of the whole thing. It's not, you know, it, it, what we're doing is our prices are like what the market will bear with average people, regular, normal people like us, you know, people that are just people and not people that, uh, that are born with money. It's like, let me stop you right there. I, <laughs> I, I, I think that we're at a point where our paintings cost so much that we can't even afford. Buying. Yeah, that's true. But I mean that, but that happened naturally though. That's that it's happened that, throughout the, you know, that. we slowly raised our prices. We didn't get some critic to, to, or some gallerist to come in and tell, tell, tell uh, a bunch of rich people that, this is the new thing. This is the thing that's going to be worth the money. This is where you can, uh, this is how you can launder your money. This is how you can protect your money is to buy this thing that I say is worth a million dollars. So, you know, you're not going to have to, uh, report it on your taxes or whatever. It's like, you know, it's, uh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Man, I'm sorry I got you started. Sorry, I know. Uh, my this, is, this is incredible. This is incredible to witness, and and I hope that the the, the, the listening audience is able to appreciate it the way that I, I am. I, you know what? I, I don't know that scene. I have to say, I worked. I did work for a couple. No, I worked for one artist that is in that scene, and I I do know that that guy, uh, Paul McCarthy. He, yep. I, I do know he's into it. He's into it. You know, whether you like his work or not, he thinks it's great. He's totally into it. But I have heard stories from people that work for other artists, like younger guys, you know, probably younger than you, Mike, that are the, the new thing and they get financed from, from big galleries. And they are like, you know, behind the scenes, they're like, yeah, it's kind of bullshit. You know, you just got to kind of make up something and seriously. And it's, that's what a lot of it is. It's, it's a scam in that way. It's not like, you know, they're, they're not necessarily creating from the heart. It's not what they love. It's like, they know someone, their family knows someone, they went to the right schools, they had all the right opportunities. And so now they're millionaires because of who they knew and what well, their families were. Let me, but let me ask you this. So in all of that, cause obviously I haven't interjected in this. I'm very, it's very fun to witness this and, and listen to both of your sides. Cause I don't, I'm like right on the ridge of the coin. I, I really don't ascribe to either or, but it's fascinating. So I, I'm, but I'm curious. So 
the reason that you take offense with this, just now I'm interviewing you. Sorry, Chad. I, this is old world, right? You and I have been doing this for five years. So the, the reason you take offense to this is because they don't deserve it, right? I mean, because yeah, that, yeah. that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, it's not. So, but yeah. The, but it's not merit say, based. There always, <laughs> there will always be someone in every field and walk of life that's getting something oh, that yeah. they didn't deserve. But right? I don't have so to like, like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to like it, but I just, it, see, you seem like, you seem like, like, you know, I've never heard you get so riled it's on the wrong. podcast. You it's seem wrong. like you're, you're very, feel strongly People about like this. Tr- I just was curious yeah. what it was, what chord it is, is it it's striking, like, you know? You know, most of 99% of, of the, I mean, Travis, you and I are like the 3% of artists that actually can make a living off their art. And out of those people, 99% of them are like me and you, that are just busting our asses every day. And, and, uh, you know, nose to the grindstone and working and giving up all, a lot of things to make this happen and, uh, and grateful for the opportunity to do that. And yet we'll never be considered, well, maybe in the future we'll be considered by the blue chips, whatever it's, you know, whatever, but at, you know, for, it's up to us to, to figure out, right. It's up to us to figure out a way to, to, to create a legacy that makes sense, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, and sure people get rediscovered all the time. I, I, when I was in art school, uh, the textbook didn't even have Gustav Klimt in it. You know, right, and, right. And now everyone talks about Gustav right. Klimt. Yeah, that's true. Time. So things happen, you don't know. I mean, there, there was a minute where, uh, some people were, were, were looked upon the, uh, French Academy painters, uh, as the enemies. That's because, true. That's true. You know, but, uh, as as the uh, the world gets tired of what people are doing, there's a paradigm shift, right? Think, think right. paradigm shift. Just go back. You know, they have a way of going back. I, I think we're going to be okay, you and I. Yeah. I think we're going to be. I'm not worried. I'm just. I just think it's unfair. It's just very unfair. I don't, I don't like it. I don't worry it. about such things. I do joke once in a while. Yeah. You know? I don't. I'm not sitting worried about it. I feel like I, I'm good. No, I, I could tell you're not worried. It's this isn't a worried chat. <laughs> it's just. It's like an. All, in, it's know? an injustice. It's an injustice because yeah. art should be for people. Art is for people. It's for all of us, and it shouldn't just be for rich people. And it's just. And it's on top of it. It's like these rich people are. You know, of course, I'm doing gr- a gross generalization too. It's not always all like that. It's no, not. There, there are there are people out there that have been convinced that what they're looking at is genius, yeah. but they can't. But they can't tell you why. Right. They, think it's, they just say because the other guy said so. Right. I'll bring up an artist, and uh, I I forget his name. Um, he's the guy that put the shark in the tank. Yeah, Damien Hurst. Damien Hurst, yeah. So Damien Hurst, another genius. That's who I thought Chet was referring to all along. <laughs> just like he's one of these guys. I'm not. A, I'm not name. a fan. I'm, I don't like. His... Yeah, he has these circle paintings, right? Yeah, Have you seen right. Yeah, yeah. He also now, what ripped up. Are... Oh, sorry. What do they remind you of? What do you think of when you see those circle paintings? Uh, um, uh, 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 what's that game? Is it? Uh, it reminds me of either the Weber Bread package or that Twister game. Or Wonder Bread. Wonder Bread. Don't yeah, Wonder know? Bread. Yeah, yeah. Wonder Bread. Uh, and there's a connection there, <laughs> right. isn't there? Right. It's just yeah. so saw. And I, 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 and I, I would, I would put money on it. I bet, I bet he has no idea why right. the Wonder Bread has circles on it. And you know, and and again, his you know art. Why, you know why Wonder Bread has the circles on it? It, it what? Wonder Bread, the package of Wonder Bread. Why it has those colorful circles? Why? that was it color testing to the the ink spots or whatever 
No, there was there was uh, well, okay. Wonder Bread is one of the first companies in the United States to make sliced bread, mm-hmm. and they they had it at these great balloon races. <laughs> so their packaging has these; those are supposed to be balloons, right? Uh, Isn't that amazing? So there's a I, I love connection. Yeah, That's yeah, great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, you know. Uh, but he probably has no idea. He's yeah. English. He's from. He has no right, idea what the right, American. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's like they're Europe Junior. They're like you know they're 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 the barbarians. We're the barbarians to to those guys, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> and now we got a barbarian present. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't say such things. Uh, they're probably watching me right now. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's paranoid. Travis talking. Uh, <laughs> um. No, you know, I, I got I got to say, though, real quick, you know, Chet, I think that in that whole entire conversation, the whole structure of that, ultimately, I, I really would have to side with with the paradigm shift that we all want, but that it's something that's just inevitably like all things. It, it's not going to just happen. It is happening. You right, know, all yeah. things are happening. And so it's it's this process that's occurring and these people. This pendulum is swinging. This right. wheel is turning. You know? And so I think inevitably and as I said to you earlier on the phone, actually, on a long enough time timeline everyone gets what they deserve one way or another whatever that is you know and you earn that and you earn that through your behavior and your actions and your output what do i put out because you will get it back and it will be magnified as such you know it really is one day uh chet chet will be uh he'll be just going down to his mailbox to get his mail and then he'll hear a voice behind him you're chet czar ain't you (laughs) (laughs) like you're like what who's that and he's like my name's Damien Hurst. And <laughs> are you talking shit about me? You ruined my career, Chet. So I'm like, hey, aren't you English? He's like, no, nah, I'm from Alabama. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna attack you with a with a with a with a with a shovel. Uh, it's like it can happen. But that's you know? a, but what I. But I, what I think about all of this is that that's what this dark art society thing is about, is that, you know, instead of, you know, we can rally and rail against all of these things that are going on and we could pontificate about what we think and speculate. Oh, yeah. this could be going on because of this, this and this. But, we're but the reality own, is yeah. powers in the people. Right. We all know that. Everyone knows that. What is ever every revolution that's ever occurred? The power is in the people. And we see it on macrocosmic levels politically, as well as these microcosmic levels on local, you know, the things we're dealing with in our lives as well as in our cities, states, countries, world. And so I see really, again, this paradigm shift has been happening, is happening, continues to happen. Mm. And as such, the people that are listening to this, the people that are involved in what Travis is doing, you're doing, I'm doing, and the people that are part of this dark art community are going to dignify this movement inevitably, organically, and your value will go up and it will reach that point where it isn't this old world game. The facade and the illusion has, is stripping away, you know, right. and that's my stance on the whole topic. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I would say that, you know, Guillermo having this museum show is basically, you know, that's one of the big indicators that this is, you know, things are changing, you know, but, but also, th- you know, the reason things change are because people like me get pissed off and, and people mm-hmm. like, you know, because this is what most people think when they when they go to an art museum and they don't know what the fuck they're looking at. Most your average person, your average person sees our work and they automatically they at least either like it or don't like it, but they they know what they're looking at and they can make that judgment. Whereas you know, they have a reaction, right? We're so much. I, mean, of I look it, at yeah. It's it's just it's such a kind of an elitist, phony thing that that I just think it's really a disservice to the public. 
and it's just not it's just it's wrong and it's 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 just not right that's all that's all they 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 created that monster built out of the idea that one movement was a reaction to another right that's what happens throughout history i feel like they have nothing to react to now you know because a lot been done if you look at what's happening in the modern art world right now like in the avant-garde art world right. what is it's actually it's rehashing up? the same shit they're still up, doing like warhol kind of stuff you know yeah, nothing has changed yeah yeah right? they, because they have nothing to right go yeah against. because that's the thing because the whole thing was like react a react against react against to the point where it was completely deconstructed and then you start using the uh the world around you as as a uh you know like a pop art kind of commenting on on consumerism and this and that well, and it's like it, it kind of the information age the information age uh is uh has has had a serious impact on all of this because you can't control what the people are looking at right yeah yeah it's true when when they're sharing it amongst themselves right totally so it, it wasn't like before where where you can where they controlled everything you know uh, mm-hmm. uh, music companies controlled music book companies controlled the books right. you know mm-hmm. books, you know there 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 weren't torrent sites where you could download you know audio books and 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 music you know that stuff didn't exist yet right you know you had all the control yeah. you know YouTube wasn't around so you didn't have like instant uh, fame famers for doing you know for yeah. mm-hmm. doing bullshit you know whatever you know so. Uh, it's different now. Things are happening very fast, right? Even in our, even in our circles, things are, right. you know, kind of happening pretty quickly. Um, but I think if we hold on to the one thing that we have that a lot of people, they forget, it is the magic trick in art. You know, mm-hmm. you know how to hold the tool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at there's some artists where you look at it and you just kind of go, you know, I, I really don't know how that person did that. Right, I have yeah. absolutely no yeah, idea the- what. The entertainment factor, the, the yeah, the, I know what you're saying, the magic trick. Um, which leads me to something else that actually angered me. I thought, there's a movie called Tim's Vermeer. Are you familiar with that movie? Mm-hmm, yeah. And and the the guys responsible for that movie uh-huh. are magicians. Really? It's, it's pen, pen, pen. Oh, I didn't know t- that. Right? Aren't they the ones that, like, that's their friend, Tim, who painted the Vermeer. And they financed the movie. I think they financed the movie. Oh, wow. But here, here's the thing. If you're a magician, isn't the point not to ever show how the trick is done? Yeah, that's, you know, that's funny because that's, uh, who is it? So then then if you go in and you say, well, this is how he painted it, then aren't you, in fact, giving away the magic trick? That's funny that you say that because, you know, do you know Laura Dan? Laura Dan? She posted a a question on Facebook about that saying, like, are, are we giving away the magic trick? By sh- now everyone shows their process and stuff on online. And of course, you know me, I show everything. And, um, you know, there, it was interesting to see that the two sides, the big debate was going on in that thread. And I felt like what I was, my point was that it's, you know, it is giving away the magic trick, but this is the kind of the new paradigm where people want to know what, the, what, how to do the magic trick. That's part of the whole thing. You know, that's part of the magic is seeing the magic happen, like right when it's happening. That's never been able to be done before. So whereas you're losing that surprise factor and the how did he do that factor, you're gaining, you're giving that up to get something that you've never been able to have before, which is seeing it happen while it happens, how it happens. And the artist is like letting you in. So it's it's kind of like a 
it seems again like a new paradigm shift because you know most people are doing it. I don't, I don't think you do it that much, but most artists are showing time lapse. Pro- <laughs> What's that? I don't have that kind of time. A, <laughs> Maybe it's I a mean, New York thing because Mark Mark Garrow said on there he commented he's like I work too hard for what I learn. I'm not going to give it away for free. <laughs> well, Chet, we you know you're right. We live in a vicarious world, right? I mean that's the reality. So it's yeah. like the, the the paradigm now is like everyone wants to see everyone else's reality. Why do you think reality television yeah. is what yeah, it is? It's, you know, weird. and so the payoff now is that vicarious sentiment, and so the magic has been turned on its head, like you said. And that's the thing is the magic changes. It all evolves. It's all changing. You right, know, just yeah. like you said. Faster and faster and faster is technology a key component? Absolutely. But also our ability to cognitively keep up, our, our brain to continue to process at the function it is, and then continue to learn to process in faster ways as we operate in a world that is this onslaught of technological advances. You know, it's an incredible thing. There's a dichotomy there. Yeah. You got to see it in real time. It, it affects everything. I mean, you could, you could see it uh, just by, okay, just by going to, the, to uh, watch movies. And uh, seeing how movies are made mm-hmm. uh, in, in the 1920s when, during the silent era, right? How, uh, how they edit things differently, yeah. you know? If you showed a person from the 1920s a movie the way they're edited now, it would blow their mind. They, would oh, know, yeah. they, they might not be able to follow the story even. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, even, even, even acting styles change, right? I mean, mm-hmm. back in the 30s when, you first, when you, like, the sound became a thing, right, at, at the end of the 20s, Sound comes in, and now you've got this very stagey kind of acting going right, on. So it's, yeah. so it's people that are on a stage in, in New York somewhere, and this is how they act. And they're projecting, and they're, and, and, they're, and they're acting really big with their hands. And, you know, oh, darling, you'll see there. You know, it's like, what? Right. What? <laughs> <laughs> but then as, as film evolves, the acting evolves. Right. And the dialogue. So it becomes more naturalistic, right? See, now you yeah. now you start to get to this. You you have this melodrama of the fifties, and then in, in the nineteen sixties and the seventies, it becomes more natural. It's like people really talk like that. Mm-hmm. I, and then, you, you know, so you could see it all happening, right? Like that. I, I, uh, and that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, it is. it is absolutely. You know, another point that comes up that you know you're talking about movies and stuff. Just look at every movie. <laughs> every movie that's got that comes out on Blu-ray or whatever, they have the bonus features, which show the making of the movie, how mm-hmm. they did the effects in the movie. It's like, this is the new form of entertainment. Yeah. You know, rather, yeah. It's not just the movie anymore. It's how they made the movie, which it is really interesting. And that's why dark art is so perfect. That's right. They don't want to see the skin. They want to see the guts. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> you know? but, but I think that, know, they want to look at the skin first and then they want to peel the skin back and see the guts, <laughs> you know, that's why dark art is so yeah. on the nose. Yeah. Are you going to record a, uh, an audio track for your shows now? People just walk in and they look from painting to painting. They, they, you know, and then there's an audio track playing. What do you mean? Well, just like uh, like you, there's an audio commentary on DVDs. Sometimes you can. All oh, right, <laughs> that's a good like, idea. Uh, you put an art show, and then it's like, "Hi, my name's Travis yeah. Lillian." and I was painting. Right now I was get yeah. this painting. I remember I when painting. I started this one. <laughs> yeah, my awesome. legs are stitching me something awful. And you, then, you know, uh, as as much as reality TV is stu- so much of it is just so stupid, except Project <laughs> Runway, which is great. But um, uh, <laughs> which you, if you haven't watched Project Runway, you should watch it because it's amazing. But um. <laughs> <laughs> it's my He's guilty pleasure. Project Runway. So we should have a sponsorship by now for this shit. It is. Wow. It is. It is such a great. Endorsed show. it like at least four times on this show. If you get you get past the stupidness of it, 
what's in the meat of it is really good and interesting. It's all about creating. Okay. Anyway, but listen, what I think is with all this reality, <laughs> reality show, there's TV shows about how things are made, you know, how the way things are made, uh, bonus features behind the scenes, people posting, posting process. I think what's at the root of that is that the more the world gets, phony and plastic and we feel less connected with reality and less close relationships because everything's kind of online. And I think people are starving for truth and reality. And so they want to know how things are made. They want to know deeper. It's a, it's like society's way of trying to get to the truth more. You know what I mean? When the truth becomes, because everything is, there's so much more bullshit. There's nowadays. actually a show on cable called how it's made. Yeah, that's what and I'm saying. Yeah, that's why I, I love that show. Like, <laughs> I love that show. I think it's so cool. Like, um, you know, they make, they make fun of it in in uh, in the Rick and Morty. You know, in, uh. in, in the, so they actually made, and it's like really hilarious. Um, I find it man. so interesting to see how things are are made, though. I just you're love you're this right, thing. Chad. I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, really, because the, the, that I think that that is part and parcel with what's going on. Even just the other day, I had my friend Adam over, and he used to work at a peanut factory, and he was telling me all how this peanut machine worked and all the different processes, and I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, I was just like <laughs> fascinated about the peanut machine because the wow. thing is, it's also we're also removed from the real processes. I mean, like you said, if this was the early 1900s, we would know a whole lot about butchering animals if we were eating them. And we would know a whole lot about bartering eggs for milk. And we would know a whole lot about these functions if you lived in the country in the early 1900s. Whereas now, and as we've evolved and gotten older and generations have influenced generations and everything has become so factory, it's like we have no idea where the fucking peanut came from. You know, right. I mean, it came from the box. What do you mean? And well, where it, did that come from? And then you learn the process. Yeah. You yeah. Imagine, in my imagination, I imagine at that peanut factory that um, there was a visit at two, two in the afternoon every day, Mr. Peanut shows up with his monocle and his top hat and his cane. <laughs> and, uh, and he whips, he whips the workers in, into a frenzy, you know? And he's like, this is not elephant worthy. You bastards are gonna get these peanuts right. And he's like, you will roast them, roasting, roasting. And I just, I, that's what I picture, man. Don't take that away from me, because I need that. I need that. Have that. <laughs> I don't want to know. If I don't see, if I don't see a Travis Louis painting of Mr. Peanut, I'm going to be fucking pissed, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but I told, I totally picture that it's like, it's like the, there's a great, there's a great ad, uh, where they show what happens when you put a quarter in a, in a soft drink machine and it shows you the inner workings. And it's like right. this whole world where all these little people are grabbing they're they're, they're assembling this bottle of, 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 of a beverage and, 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 uh, and and takes so many of them like like slaves building the pyramids to drag the bottle and then the then the, the liquid goes in and then and then it just sort of falls out of the machine and the guy picks it up and walks away not knowing that this entire world inside the machine is going on. Yeah, you I like that. <laughs> I, I like, I like that. Who is it? Who is that famous artist that that did all of those? You know the the um like what you're talking about. There was a real famous. It wasn't his name. It wasn't obviously Kubrick's a filmmaker, but I want to say his name was like K U B. Something like that. But you know what I'm talking about, guys? The guy that would do these art things that were all like, it's trying to do a real basic function on this side, and you start here, and it's this ridiculous nonsense between. And he was a real famous artist. that did, They were like diagram almost, mm -hmm. illustrative. Rube Goldberg kind of stuff? Yes, thank you. Yeah. I couldn't get Rube Goldberg oh, yeah, out yeah, of my yeah. fucking head. Thank yeah, you. Rube Goldberg. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of when you were when you were describing that. I, I went off into yeah, Rube Goldberg. I was Goldberg. thinking about like, like that game Mouse Trap. Yeah, you know, yeah you, totally. totally. <laughs> I can never get the game to work. 
You know? I know. Is that that basket that falls at the end is always well, fucked it's, up. It's, it's because of automation, right? The, the <laughs> mold they didn't get the molds right. They, they didn't have a good clean out guy cleaning the, the uh, you know. Because when you when you take something out of a mold, you got to clean the little pe- the bits off. Right. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, somewhere where the guy doesn't operate the blowtorch properly, because they they melt that stuff off. Yeah. Couple quick swings, <laughs> melt it off. Goes in the box, you know. Where was so, the blowtorch guy? God damn it. Uh, it's a, <laughs> job i mean my um i say this because my my uncle used to own a, a factory in macau that made silk flowers right and they had molds for the flowers and then when they when the fabric got cut there were all these always these little bits of thread sticking out right and i asked him I was like how do you get rid of the th-? and he goes oh well, i'll show you and he took me down to the where they were working and there was a guy with a blowtorch that would just burn the little bits right off the, he would just wave the flowers in front of the blowtorch really quickly and uh, it, just burned the- it was the craziest thing. <laughs> and, and it smelled horrible down there. I bet um, it was toxic as hell. It was like burned hair down yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was silk. It was, you know, it's burning organic yeah. matter, you know. I was like, wow, why wow, is this horrible? Sure. You know. But uh, yeah, that, it's that hidden thing, right? Yeah, I think that's, that that's what you, we're all driving at. People love the human touch. They like to know that we're actually painting these things. Yeah, that's that's oh. our uh, this is our reaction. You know, right. our art is our reaction to the bullshit I was talking about earlier to where it's just oh, like sure. some guy scamming. People want to see. They want to see what we're doing. Right. And, and there's the problem with that. I mean, because there is a human connection. People are more interested in my drawings sometimes than my paintings yeah. because they there is a connection between what I am drawing why do you think street art is so popular? Mm. Because people have a connection to it because it it's not outside of what they might be capable of on some level. Right. Yeah, there's that, but it's it's you also what, what you do is a little more complicated. In fact, it's a lot more complicated. Right, right. You actually, have to. I, I think I think it's also popular because again, it's that real factor. It's like this is yeah. real. You know, that's how it started. They're not making any money. They're just putting their art out there to be shown and it's, and it's Mm -hmm. from the street and it's real. And that's what, you know, like I was saying with all this reality television and everything, you know, it really started, I think Andy Warhol started this whole thing where, where it's like, you know, it started back then in the, in the sixties where it's like, he was the first guy to do these movies where it was just like a guy sleeping for hours and shit (laughs) like that, because it's like, at that time, it was revolutionary, and it was, uh, you know, uh, it's all about reality, getting down to the real me. And, and, and his commentary was all on consumerism yeah, and everything, and that's the whole, you know, synthetic thing we're being, you know, right. berated with this phoniness. And so it's like getting down to the real thing. So I think that's that's really kind of what it what it's all about. It's getting to the, the truth, you know, getting down to Preach the real it, thing. Preach it, brother Preach it. But we should probably stop now because it's like almost an hour and a half. I would like to smoke a cigarette, definitely. <laughs> and I'm starving. I gotta eat something. <laughs> All right, bro. That uh, it's fine. My my, I have to probably go get some dinner. Well, dude, it's so cool to actually hear you talk, Travis. Because for me, you know, I am really kind of like a vicariously in my own way a fly on the wall to this whole thing. I mean, I I met Chet and was able to make the documentary, but I had no affiliation with anything fine art aside from when I got out of art school in 2002. And then I went under the covers and started writing books and screenplays and working in casinos to make money. 
And so it's been really cool to hear you talk and get to know who you are and put again, to get down to what's real, put a face and a voice and a personality and an ideology and a philosophy behind these beautiful pieces of artwork that I'm able to enjoy. So thank you so much for showing up. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. And let's promote, you got anything to promote your website, travislouis.com. Is there anything else going on? I I, I have, uh, I have prints available at at my website at travislouis.com. Um, I, I, I will I will have smart work at uh, Pulse Art Fair in Miami. What's that? Uh, Pulse Art Fair in Miami. Oh, Pulse. The, oh, oh, pu- right. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, so that's going on. And um, I guess cat's out of the bag. Uh, Kirsten Anderson has re- reopened a space in Seattle. And I'll have some work there in February. Oh, great. So, What's yeah, a, do you know the name of her new place? I forgot it. It's uh, Creatura. Oh, that's right. Creatura. This is a permanent space? It is a permanent space. Oh, yeah. cool! So that was she's short. Back. That was short-lived. Yeah, she's I'm back. Glad. And uh, and then I have a solo show happening in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, at the William Basic Foreign Art Gallery, and that'll be in May. Uh, yeah, and oh, and there's one other thing. I, I, I've I'm I'm curating a show actually. That'll be in New York in uh, in March. And uh, you're welcome to join. If you'd like to put a painting in, that would be pretty cool. I'm, a- I'm asking you live. <laughs> well, well uh, we, something we, eight by ten. I know you're sworn off doing the shows, but this what, is a good one. What's the theme? A lot of good people are in it. The, the theme, uh, oddly enough, originally was chicken or fish, which that sounds like the menu options from the movie Airplane. I decided against <laughs> uh, it. It's now going to be called uh, Of Feathers and Scales. Uh, so That sounds interesting. Else. So it's pretty open. Uh, my thinking was, um, well, oddly enough, from uh, the movie uh, Life of Brian. Have you seen Life of Brian? Of Monty Python. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. So there's, there's a moment in the film where Jesus is addressing everybody. And they hear him say, blessed are the cheesemakers. Yeah, right? bl- so the peace- yeah, blessed are the peacemakers. So, say, blessed are the so, cheesemakers. <laughs> so, so someone says, oh, no, no, he doesn't mean specifically cheesemakers. He means any sort of dairy products. Right. So, <laughs> So I better not be chicken or fish. It should be just feathers or scales. So any, yeah. any, any kind of fish or any kind of thing that has scales or that's, any kind of thing that has feathers. And that's, that's a cool it. idea. Okay. Well, let's yeah. th- let me, I'll talk to you about it and get the, the dates and see if I could do it. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. You'll be in good company. Uh, we have uh, Glenn Barr and nice. uh, Tara Pearson, uh, cool. Lola, Eric Joyner, Olivia Baradinas. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's a great it's, lineup. It's, Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good lineup. Uh, Bob Eggleton, you know Bob Eggleton, Mr. Godzilla himself, Bob Eggleton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vince, Vince Natale, you know. Cool. Uh, great, great painters in the show. Uh, Caitlin Hackett. When is it? Caitlin, it's in March. You'll be a good company. I should be dude. able to do that. I should be able to do that. Everybody's good, and then I'll have a piece in there, of course, because you know I have to. Yeah. And it's gonna be all right, man. It's gonna cool. be all right. All right. There you go. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. It was super fun. And um, uh, you're the best. Rate and review us is the next thing we always say (laughs) on iTunes or SoundCloud or anywhere else. Please try to help us drive our SEO. It's our search engine optimization. You can do that by commenting. You can do that by reviewing. You can do that by sharing with your friends. Anything you can do to help spread the word so we can continue to do this podcast for free. Yes. And thank you all for listening. And... Thanks again, Travis, for coming on here. And uh, see you guys. Take care, man. Catch you guys next Wednesday. Take it easy.